public goods is the roads, the bridges, the fire departments, the police departments, those things that everybody wants, but nobody wants to pay for, right? There is no business model that says, I'm going to have a fire department. I'm going to make money. Now I'm, I'm excluding those tiny little communities out in Oregon that actually charge people subscription service for their fire departments. Right. But this is like, how do you do this for web three open source software? That's where we started. But I- Welcome to delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. Before jumping in, a quick shout out to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode and all of our episodes. Boardroom is the leading governance intelligence firm where you can find, track, and participate in all of the latest governance votes. Make sure to subscribe to the boardroom.io governance newsletter. You can find all of these details in the show notes. This week, we have a special episode featuring governance leader Gitcoin, Sean. Sean is an industry leader within the governance space and one of our most captivating and motivating guests that we've had on so far. Sean's background is bar none, a serial entrepreneur, educator, a refugee from the corporate world. I was going to give a little bit of background on Sean, however, I just won't do him justice. So we'll let him introduce himself. I'll jump in. So I think I've had the luckiest career of anybody I've known my whole life. I've just been like super lucky throughout my whole career. I'm actually, I'm officially kind of retired. So I'm a retired executive from a Fortune 25 company, right? So I spent 17 years in a Fortune 25 company. And usually I, I started off like running projects, like IT projects all over the world. And then I ended that career in running something called shared services for a $2 billion business unit. So kind of like, think of it like a mini CIO role for a $2 billion company. I left there because the last half of my career was all about selling people, selling assets, closing down plants, outsourcing, downsizing. It was like 10 years of just, it was rough, right? And so I left there and I did a complete career change. I moved into healthcare and I ran a series of CEO of a couple business, of a couple of medical companies. Did that for a couple of years and then COVID hit. And I'm like, I don't want to be in healthcare anymore. So we moved out in the woods and I built a cabin out in the woods, an off-grid cabin out in the middle of nowhere. So I spent a year doing that, just building a cabin out in the woods, right? For my family. And it was, it was fantastic. I finished the cabin and I looked around. And I'm like, okay, what else am I going to do? And I'm like, oh yeah, I had this blockchain experience I had in 2015. I invested in some crypto in 2017. I wonder how that account's doing. And so I went back and I looked at it. And I'm like, crypto's back. <laughs> like, this is great. So from that point, I jumped in to be, and I've been told not to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I I was a degen trader, right? I was like seven days a week, 12 hours a day, degen, just trading. Like, I don't know how many trades I did in a year. Actually, I can tell you off my taxes. It was a mess, but just degen trading like an entire year doing learning technicals, did that for a year. And after a year, I'm like, I'm tired of this. I want to go deal with people again. And that's when I started looking into the companies that I was trading. And I heard a podcast by a guy by the name of Big Sky. And Big Sky worked over at Index Co-op at the time. And he said, you know what? At some point in time, making money gets old. You want to do something bigger and you want to make an, you want to change the world. And I'm like, oh, I'm listening to this guy. And so I listened to him and I said, you know what? I want to go deep into Index Co-op. So I went over to Index Co-op, who is building diversified index products for crypto. 
And I just started volunteering and I volunteered anywhere I could. And I found a home doing people operations and I found a home doing governance. And between those two, it's like I could do people operations. Governance was really exciting because it, it took me back to kind of like the executive side of how do you steer a ship and how do you make decisions and recognizing it's completely different in this world. And I'm like, okay, this is where I want to be. So I was with Index for, I don't know, a long period of time till we did a massive downsizing over there. And then a friend of mine said, hey, there's a role over at uh, Gitcoin. Maybe you should go look at Gitcoin. I'm like, oh, I know Gitcoin. I like those guys. Those guys are cool. So I went over there and picked up doing governance over at Gitcoin. And so I think, yeah, officially blockchain first introduced in 2015, started trading 2017, full-time since 2019, 2020, and just, just loving it. So cool to see. How, how do you find that transition from web two to web three and what have been the biggest sort of changes between those two worlds that you've witnessed? The biggest change is my own dedication. I mean, when I was working for PNG, I was a dedicated hardcore capitalist. It's like, I believed in the shareholder and I was working every day for the shareholder. When I moved into web three, I was like, this has meaning and it has purpose. And this is really worth my life's effort right? Because before it's like, I believed in it and I was a capitalist, but here I'm like, this has meaning, right? This can change the world. And this is real, right? So this, this is something that can, I don't know. It's like, I, I do this free, (laughs) do this for free, (laughs) just because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) And so I do want to jump back into Gitcoin a little bit here for our listeners who are not familiar. I know Lawrence, myself, and you are familiar with Gitcoin and all the innovation around that space. But if you had to explain it in your own words, what is Gitcoin? So Gitcoin has been around since 2017, building tools to help communities fund their shared needs, right? So that's what we've been focused on doing. What that means is that over these past years, I think we've delivered $50 million in helping communities to fund their own work. So we often say it's public goods, right? And public goods is the roads, the bridges, the fire departments, the police departments, those things that everybody wants, but nobody wants to pay for, right? There is no business model that says, I'm going to have a fire department. I'm going to make money. Now I'm, I'm excluding those tiny little communities out in Oregon that actually charge people subscription service for their fire departments, right? But this is like, how do you do this for web three open source software? That's where we started. But I think where this goes is just for an example, it's like UNICEF came to Gitcoin four months ago and said, hey, we have an innovation fund and we want your help to allocate this money to a certain set of potential projects. And so using our protocol, we said, UNICEF, sure, we can help you do that. And they gave us a big pile of money. We engaged a bunch of their, a bunch of their projects. We went out and reached out to their usual funders and we, <laughs> we accelerated the amount of money that they were donating. I think it's like 1.5 times as much as they were donating or as much as they were donating to the projects. So we help those communities using the magic of quadratic funding. If you want to donate $25,000 or if you have a, a, an innovation fund of $25,000, we can help you elevate that fund, find the right people to allocate the money to for the projects. And then we can help elevate the money that you're planning on, on allocating to those, those recipients. So think of it as the public good funding for the Web3 world. We're building, we are building platforms to make that more efficient for anybody that's got a grants around they're trying to run. That's amazing. And could you, for our listeners who aren't aware with quadratic funding and what that is, can you give us a quick breakdown of that? You're wrong. A quick breakdown of quadratic funding. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Lawrence, it's funny because I had to write an article probably about, I don't know, six months ago because just to make sure that I could clearly articulate it. But if you think about it, quadratic funding is a way of saying, I'm going to elevate a person's vote, not so much on how much they own. If you think about token, token weighted voting, whoever's got the most amount of money or whoever's got the most amount of tokens makes the rules. Quadratic voting takes the square root of the number of tokens that you have and applies that to your balance. So if I have 100 tokens, I take the square root of that, which is 10, and I have 10 votes, right? If I have 10, if I have, say, 25 votes, I take the square root of that, which is five votes. Now, if you look at that, someone who's got 100, they now have 10. Somebody who's got 25 now has five. Whoa, that's a big difference. So what this does is it elevates the voice of the multi- of the, of the multitudes and helps the voice of all the common folks elevate their cont- contribution. And as a result, you move from, a, you shift it from a plutocracy into a little bit more of a democratic one person, one vote. It doesn't end up with one person, one vote, but it also doesn't completely diminish the fact that I'm sitting on a ton of tokens. I, my voice should, my voice should weigh a bit more. Lawrence, does that make sense? No, that, that was a really good one. And that's why I wanted to ask you rather than having a stab at it myself, because you, you've done that justice. One of the, one of the challenges I find with quadratic funding, and I'm curious to get your view on it is that obviously the big token holders in, in some sense, it makes sense that they've got more voting power and it also encourages and incentivizes them to acquire more tokens so that they can have that voting power. And it decreases that incentivization through quadratic funding because instead of your 100 tokens being worth 100 votes, it's worth 10 votes, as you say that. Do you, have you seen that within Gitcoin have any like material impact within uh, the product and the ecosystem? Or do you think it actually gets more people in generally, which creates better vo- voting outcomes and still doesn't materially Im- impact the token price itself? So it, it's a great question. Um, there's two different components here that we're talking about. One is quadratic voting. The other one is about quadratic funding, right? Quadratic funding is a similar concept of using, being able to elevate the voice of the multitude, which means that those people who do the best in quadratic funding are not the people who can go get two or $10,000 donors. It's the people that can activate their community to go give two, three, five, ten dollars euros, right? Smaller amounts. And that's when it, we're looking at the activation of many different people to help elevate a particular project versus somebody coming in and donating $10,000 to a project. We want that for sure. We definitely want that. And if you got the $10,000 to go donate, go donate it for sure. But at the same time, it's more about activating the community and getting many voices to help weigh in on which are the most deserving projects. If I take a stab at quadratic voting, quadratic voting, similar concept. But to your point, Lawrence, it does diminish the voice of the whale, right? And so the whale does have to have a certain amount of say. They do have the say, but their whale, their voice is diminished. And those minnows are, they have a greater voice. And we know based on empiric research is that if there is, if, if my voice doesn't matter, I'm not going to vote, right? If I feel like my voice doesn't matter, I'm not going to vote. So if I've got 3,000 tokens and someone's got 300,000 tokens, why am I bothered to vote? Nobody's my my voice is my voice is going to mean nothing. Now, if I say yes, but with quadratic voting, I'm going to elevate your voice. I'm going to amplify your voice, and that guy that's got three hundred thousand votes, I'm going to mute his voice a little bit. So we should have greater participation, more people participating in the governance process via quadratic voting. Yeah, and and I often look at at the application of quadratic methods, whether that's to voting or even funding, as as it relates to the situation or the underlying operations. So a great example is you know, if you're an investment organization, 
decentralized organization. It's highly likely that your one token, one vote makes makes sense because your share in that organization that you're investing with is directly translatable to the amount of tokens you hold, right? So maybe you care a little bit more about that. From the funding side, I've always been super inspired from what Gitcoin is doing out in the marketplace because looking at this situation saying, hey, you, you know, we're trying to fund public goods, right? So how do we do that in a fair manner that's equitable? How do we do that uh, where we can actually have the greatest impact? And I think this quadratic method that's been pioneered here over the past few years is the perfect first step. And honestly, I think it's caught on quite a bit around this concept of how do we fund public goods? So it's interesting. It's like um, when Glenn Weil, the author of, you know, the major author of like advocated for this idea like years ago, it's interesting when Vitalik picked up on this and said, hey, how could we do this for quadratic funding? That was the genesis of Gitcoin saying, let's take this thing and run with it. And yeah. Kevin Owaki did a fantastic job of developing the core capabilities, right? And, and, and brought this thing to life. And it's interesting that you see quadratic funding and quadratic voting proliferating across the Web3 space to the point that IRL businesses are starting to look at this and say, my gosh, if I've got, you know, a brand, how can I allow my hardcore fans to participate in my brand? And if I'm Nike, how can I activate those people, all my millions of fans across the world to participate in this? Boom. Here's a mechanism to make that happen. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Nike's going to turn over their shareholders meetings to use yeah. quadratic voting. But we are seeing lots of in real life businesses take a second look at this and say, hey, can this is this meaningful for us? So I'm excited to see where this thing goes. And I think, Cameron, to your point, this is early days for us. We've got a exactly. lot of experimentation to go. Exactly. Yeah. I do want to cover the governance realm in Gitcoin. So thinking about this, because, because again, I think it's a very different situation in terms of interests, in terms of outcomes, than if we're talking about large DeFi protocols or investment protocols, anything like that. And so when it comes to Gitcoin governance, can you give us an introduction into how you guys operate, some of the things you look at and look for? It's a good question. So in Gitcoin, we take a pretty conservative approach to governance. We have, we feel like we feel a big burden of responsibility in the Web3 space. And so I would say it's like we're, we're usually a little bit cautious about how we proceed with governance innovation. For example, the way that governance had been originally set up since we moved to a DAO not very long ago, when we moved to the DAO concept, we set up our steward council or our stewards and our yeah. stewards are basically our delegates. So we look at anybody who's got GTC or Gitcoin can go vote on any proposal. They delegate to themselves and they can go vote. However, we tend to cater to this group of people that we call our stewards. And our stewards are anybody that will go out and make a declaration on our forum and say, I believe in the product because, and fill out a basic template of saying, this is why I think I'm a steward. From that point on, we engage those stewards. We, we deliberately engage those stewards to say, this is what's coming up from a governance perspective. These are the decisions that we're planning on making. Please participate with us. Please participate on the forum. Give us your input. Give us your insight and finesse or adjust these proposals that contributors are building and help us decide what's the right direction for Gitcoin. So we're taking the delegate approach. We call them stewards. Most of the rest of the world calls them calls them delegates. We call them stewards. But the additional thing that I think is a little bit unique about Gitcoin as well is we've taken that one step further. We've developed something that we call the Stewards Council. 
the Stewards Council is an elected body that is nominated by the internal contributors, but voted upon quadratically via all of our GTC to all, via all of our stewards, right? Those stewards then decide, here's the 10 external people who are on this council. And we go to them and we actually meet with them every two weeks and we say, here's the core governance topics that are coming up. And we also use them for, think of it like almost like a board of directors, but it's almost like a board of recommenders. So they don't necessarily have any hard power, but they have a lot of influence. So we'll bring, hey, here's a marketing plan. What do you think of our marketing plan? And we've got steward council members who are all across Web3 and they gave us input. And so I think this was a novel way that Gitcoin is trying to reach out beyond our walls to go get those thought leaders who know the best about development, that know the most about marketing, that know the most about governance, that know the most about human resources, pull in those people and use their expertise and work beyond our walls. I love this because it's like real world politics in a sense. You're you're putting forward the nominees that you think would be the best candidates and then you let the community go out and vote on them. But the thing that I like even more than the actual political system that that's been, well, that there is a political system that's being used within Gitcoin is that the fact that these people are actually experts in the respective areas. And so we have much more specialized people working within the organization and working on governance. And I think that's so much more effective and a really powerful mechanism. Lawrence, to that point, one of the things I don't think DAOs do well yet is everything is open source, but who's got the time, right? Who's really got the time to go learn what someone else has done? And so that's what we're trying to do is let's let's go externally and learn what someone else has done because we've all solved the same 15 problems 30 different ways, right? <laughs> when we get that network effect of stopping to, I mean, if we can all solve the one problem and get the five best answers, I mean, we're going to run circles around traditional business. Just to build on that as well, right? So Gitcoin's super active in terms of governance. So we actually track various proposals. We like to stay up on certain activities. What's the latest and greatest out of the community? What are some of the latest proposals that you see from your side? So it's interesting. Um, If you think about our grants rounds, our grants rounds and how we allocate money, it's kind of a governance process, isn't it? Yeah. Because what we're doing is, I mean, what is governance? Governance is allocating people and money and making decisions, right? And most of it is people and money, right? So a lot of our proposals or a lot of proposals in general if they're not technical, or how much money are we going to give to Project ABC and are we going to fund Project ABC or Workstream or Pod or whatever you want to call it, ABC, right? Well, if you look at public good funding, it's a governance process, right? It's like we're using a community to decide where money's going to go. One of the things I'm most interested in trying is retroactive public good funding. So we have not been able to reward our contributors who are just fans and do things because they're they love the product, right? We have a ton of fans that just come in and they'll tweet something or they'll create a meme or they'll create some content and they just do it because they love it, not because they're a contributor, right? Yeah. We've never had a way to thank those people. So one of the things I'm really looking forward to is we recently just had, I think it was GCP004, which is our Gitcoin citizens round. Using our new platform, we're, we've allocated, I think it's like $80,000 to the community and the community can go vote on what they think or nominate for what they think have been the most influential and the best products that have not been core Gitcoin, not developed by Gitcoin, but for Gitcoin on in our ecosystem so that we can go reward them. So it's Cameron, to your point, it's not governance of the DAO, but it's governance adjacent to the DAO and letting the community to help fund things that they think were great that we didn't even build. 
I'm excited about that. It's going to be fun. I don't know how it's going to work. This is where following Gitcoin, being involved in Gitcoin is inspiring, especially if you're a professional in the space, because it's just such an interesting, unique set of problems or set of goals that you guys have compared to what you said, right? How do we allocate money and people to something very specific? So really, I think taking a step back and looking very broadly, there's also some really cool stuff going on around enabling retroactive funding for just about everything. And so it's really interesting to see how people approach that uh, or what, you know, some of the different mechanisms in, in that arena. I think retroactive, when I first was in really, it's, I go look at optimism, right? And so it's like That's optimism. <laughs> it's like those guys are the OGs of retroactive public good funding, right? The piece that I always struggled with is retroactive funding requires that somebody goes off and does a ton of work. They do a ton of work. They put a ton of energy and effort and they might get paid for it, right? And so it's it's a great way for rewarding those people who have put the time, energy, and effort into it and recognizing the work that they've done. But it's also a hard process because not everybody has got the financial ability to spend 10, 15, 20 hours on a project and not know if they're yeah. going to get reimbursed for it. So it, it's I think it's a mechanism that is required. And I'm really excited that we're finally digging into this space because I think we're going to learn a lot from it. But it, it's like, it's one side of a coin and we need both sides of that coin, right? We need to be able to fund people up front. We need to be able to fund the retroactive goods that's, that's done. We need to go to both of them. Looking here, and this is relatively fresh proposal, but I would love your view on what some of this enables. Upgrading Gitcoin's governance contracts. And so hmm. this idea, I know we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but this idea of having the ability to change certain levers within or certain variables within governance and how that impacts certain situations for the organization, right? One of those examples includes different novel mechanisms, right? Flexible voting strategies, different delegation strategies, as well as some of the more simple variables like thresholds, voting delays, quorum requirements. So can you, can you talk a little bit about GCP00X, some of your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to dive into it. The work that the folks over at Scopelift are doing is truly innovative. Now, what I love about this proposal is it's like a base layer that can be built upon, right? And so it, it, it it's a contract that allows you to go in and modify the way that the voting mechanisms work in a way that you don't have to go in and modify the contract every single time, right? So we're all using the same governor alpha protocols from contract from, from years ago, right? With no changes that we've been able to do. Like these guys provide that ability in in my old world, we call it a user exit, right? The ability to go in and insert a user exit, make adjustments to that code without changing the underlying functionality of the contract itself. So what does this allow us to do? And there's theoretically what it can do. And there's also a lot of things which they're still waiting to be developed because I think the folks over at Scopelift are not even sure what the capabilities will be built on top of this because it's got that amount of flexibility. But you can think about, it. we implement the contract, right? And it would potentially allow us to go create a liquidity pool sitting over at Aave, and I can put money into that liquidity pool, build a front end to it, and then that those tokens that are in that liquidity pool are gaining rewards from the liquidity pool, but I can also use that from a governance perspective. So all of that money that's tied up in all those liquidity pools, you then unlock those from a governance perspective. So you have the ability to turn those into governing tokens, where we can't do today, right? So that's exciting. Another component, if I think about this, it would be the ability to aggregate 
many different delegators into a single vote, voting pool. For example, let's say that I'm a, I'm a VC and I don't vote with all of my million tokens, but I delegate them to many of my different employees, right? Let's say those employees participate in governance. Some don't participate in governance. Maybe two or three people are actually voting on a regular basis. What I can do with this contract is I can aggregate all million tokens across all of those different voices. And if only two people vote internally, that triggers the vote for all million tokens, as opposed to each person getting 200,000 votes each, right? That's the kind of innovation that can happen out of this capability, right? So, I mean, you can, there's all kinds of things that you can do from a delegation perspective, and this is all on chain. So one of the pieces that I draw a distinction between what it can do from a theoretical perspective versus what it can do for Gitcoin. What it can do for Gitcoin right now in the short term is not a lot. It helps us upgrade, but we do, we make our chain, we make our decisions in snapshot, and then we carry that over to an on-chain vote in tally. All this is on-chain. So for us, it's not going to give us a huge value immediately until we move away from the off-chain snapshot world into an on-chain governance model, if that makes sense. Really interested to get your view on on on-chain versus off-chain voting and why you you think that we should be moving to a a completely on-chain voting world. I mean, obviously, there are the downsides of the gas costs associated with it, but that should go down with with layer 2s and improved efficiency on layer 1s as well. It's funny. So at ETH Denver, there was like a Dow Denver session to where I remember it was a mic drop moment where Meg, who was at Flipside at the at the time, somebody asked, it's like, hey, is off-chain governance really governance? And she said, no. And that was it. It was like a perfect mic drop moment. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was fantastic. So I, I, I say that to say that there is varying views on is on-chain governance that much more legitimate than off-chain governance? And I think it depends on your processes, right? And what I mean by that is if you have a bulletproof process that is off-chain, I would argue that is as legitimate as an on-chain process. As long as you have a robust process documented, you have credible and I'll say credible and neutral facilitators of that process. And there's escape hatches to say, if something goes wrong, we can stop. So... I'm not a, a maximist one a maximalist one way or the other. I think either one can work, and it's a community choice to say which one's most relevant for them. Five dollars for a vote right now is limiting for an on-chain vote, right? I can't ask people that are in developing economies to spend five dollars for a vote. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense at all. So on-chain voting has a ways to go before, I mean, unless we all agree to move to optimism. Okay, if we do that, great. But I think we've got a ways to go before it's practical for everybody. In the meantime, in the meantime, you need to have bulletproof off-chain processes. Definitely. And I think like a combination of the two might be the best thing. So like smaller votes, allowing those to be off-chain and then for electoral killer governance proposals, maybe putting those on. Then again, I'm saying this and I'm thinking in my mind, are those the actual proposals that we want to cut people out of effectively? Probably not. And it's actually, it's it's really funny, Lawrence, the original idea, right? Because uh, first off, a lot of things around governance, right? Whenever, whenever I speak with startups or even matured protocols, a lot of the aspects that you can change around governance are process-oriented. You can introduce safeguards. You can have two different socially accepted processes depending on what type of decision you're making. Like we've seen all of this and it's, it's not done through technical development. It's done through social development. But, but with that being said, this original idea of having an off-chain vote and then having an on-chain vote, 
it, it was really around, we don't want to make people vote twice, right? We want to be able to signal, hey, we should go to this on-chain vote. And then you actually have the on-chain vote where now I think we look at it, and it's funny when you look at the industry and the, or the governance realm, and now, now we're saying like, hey, we should have on-chain polling and on-chain execution dual, which is what we were actually trying to avoid at first because of this, because of the gas costs. But there's some really interesting on-chain polling contracts, I believe, where the actual execution of the transaction gets relayed and then paid for by a third party or, or, or something like that, as well as folks actually will route the on-chain vote through a very low cost layer two. Um, and then they'll just subsidize that cost to that protocol or DAO. But I, I just always found it fascinating thinking we were actually trying to avoid that at first. And now we see folks saying, hey, we we need this. And there's pros and cons for both. I'm, I'm, I'm very open to the innovation or figuring out what works for that specific protocol. So it's interesting at Gitcoin, we have sort of hybrid models. So all of our decisions are actually taken in snapshot. However, the on-chain or let's say the activation or the, the, the flow of funds, the multi-sig, is tally, right? And so we go to tally to do an on-chain vote there. And it's interesting because it is only via social contract that we say whatever passes on snapshot goes is taken over to tally and it is passed there. It's not a decision, right? It is a, the execution of the off-chain vote, which builds in a question of could you ever have the case to where an off-chain vote is not executed according to, is not executed on-chain. And I kind of looked at that as a safety net too. So if something, if I, we've had a problem recently with some snapshot votes popping up that were just trash, right? And I think a number of people are seeing these things pop up, right? And so if something happened to get passed that was trash, we could still stop it before it triggered, you know, liquidate the treasury. That's really interesting, again, around this socially accepted processes within governance, because we've actually spoken to a few governance professionals who have literally told us, like, look, you could go put a vote up, do all of these things, right? There's no way to constrict that social aspect of wait two weeks for discussion, then move forward for a temperature check. Like, all of these things are not connected and, from a technical sense, enforced. But where it is enforced is from that social aspect. And and I love what you said about how the off-chain to the on-chain provides some level of checks and balances as well with malicious ideas or non-serious votes or proposals because I 100% agree with that. You know, and I, we probably won't dive into governance attacks or, or anything like that or we'll have we'll have another six hours. But but I right, that that's exactly that idea of having those safeguards, right? A final approver, some sort of step in the middle of this proposal process to ensure that you're not fighting the last day, right, to try to turn a vote. Same thing with the time lock, right? That time, that that period of time after a vote passes before execution is not for fun, right? It's there to ensure that you have some time to respond if you need to, which has presented some issues in various DeFi protocols. However, if the, if that's what we're working with right now until we can further innovate, build on. So I think we're going to have to get more crisp at this as the increase in governance attacks happen, right? And so I don't know if you guys saw, there was a, a um, an article that was released today, I think it was by Dow Times, talking about an interview with a nefarious person that's going in and is in pre proposing governance proposals that are, they're just, they're just rugging the Dow, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have to get better at that, right? And it's, unfortunately, we're going to have more of those attacks come and 
like we're going to get better over time. 100%. I think as we scale, we're going to see this so much more frequently. And I mean, if we had an organization, which was like a S&P 500 company or whatever, having to run through this governance proposals, they would get absolutely flooded with scammers and the like. So it's really interesting because also we don't want to stun or stop the community from being able to get a view and, and be able to put forward something that they think is going to contribute towards the organization. And it's how do we moderate those? Do we need a stake in the game to put forward a proposal? I'm curious to know what are your thoughts around should anyone be able to put forward a proposal? Should we have that stake in the game, whether that be proof of participation or token holdings or anything like that for people wanting to, to actually put forward proposals? So that's a tough one. Um, one side of it says that we are a decentralized autonomous organization and anybody can, has the right to participate, right? So that's one side of it. The other side of that says, yeah, but we're going to get so much noise if people, if we're constantly having to deal with scammers coming in and disrupting our business. It's like we get this in our Discord all the time. It's, I, it's like it's almost a full-time job for somebody in Discord to just going out and smashing all of this, all of the bots and the scammers and people saying, hey, I want to write a story. I'm from Coindesk. So I think in an idealistic world, you say governance is open that anybody can go out and create a proposal. That's idealistic, right? The other side of that is that may not be practical, right? Because I just in the past two weeks had three different proposals that showed up on our on our on our snapshot that were just garbage, right? They were garbage and trying to they weren't necessarily going for creating a proposal that would be passed, but it was referring to it on Twitter so that they could um, talk about an airdrop, right? And so. The level of sophistication requires that we have some kind of gating, some kind of mechanism that we keep the noise out, but still allow the relevant proposals from the community to bubble up. So it's a balance between how do you keep out the scams and the noise in a way that does not alienate those people who may not have the biggest voice, but still who want to participate. I think this spills on as well what we were chatting about before we kicked off this call, which was around. Should a token's primary utility or even the utility token of a DAO or an organization be governance in the first place? And are there other mechanisms or, or ways of voting? So like using NFTs, for example, as, as, as a means of voting. Do you have any thoughts on, on that for, from a Gitcoin perspective specifically? And then from an ecosystem wide generally? And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get your view. Yeah. So here I'll, I'll be speaking for myself on this one, right? So I don't speak for Gitcoin on this one, but I think it is problematic. There, there's two, again, two schools of thoughts on this one. One is one extreme says anybody who is on the payroll should not be making governance decisions. Huh, right. That's one view, right? That's, that's one end. The other end of that view says you want the people with the highest context making decisions, right? And you need to play between these two places. What token governance does not do is solve either one of those problems. What we do is we say, here, I'm going to pay you in these tokens. And as I was describing before, we pay you in these tokens and we hope that you use those tokens to participate in governance, but you still have to pay rent, right? So what happens is that our contributors go sell those tokens, turn it into a stable coin and go pay rent with it, pay their car payments, right? And then they've got no voice when it comes time to, to vote. So I think the using our tokens as governance and as well, value, it, 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 it's, it's not, we're reapplying what worked in the old world, right? And not only are we just, we're reapplying it, but then we're also paying them in those tokens too. So we have to fix this, right? And it's, I, I think you do need to separate the two. How we get there, I'm not sure. 
but this is one of those things that we need to we need to continue iterating on so that we have the right people having the right amount of voice to participate in governance and we're not forcing those people to sell their voice because they have to pay rent this also coinciding with this concept of splitting the value of influence with the actual value of the token right can you separate the governance rights from a token uh, because certainly the governance aspect has value, but so does the actual utility of that token, right? There's some perceived value there. What you're talking about there is how do you disintermediate the value versus the governance? And they're not, they're not the same. They're two different mechanisms and yeah. you should not necessarily have the same pool owning both components of it because we have different incentives between those two. So I think that's one of the huge problems that we need to solve. And if I look back at, say, Optimism with their bicameral governance model, I think right now they're doing a pretty good job of trying to at least articulate you have a governance structure, right? Making decisions with their, with one house, the other house, it's you've got the, 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 the value of the token itself. And I think that's one of the problems that we need to solve because most DAOs today are orchestrated based on its governance and its value. And that's got a whole host of problems. And so looking Looking as well, right, outside of the actual funding that Gitcoin enables itself, we also have all the technology, all the enablement technology that's being developed over at Gitcoin. It's absolutely fascinating. Would love to chat a little bit about some of the work or the ideas behind the grant stack and, and what you guys are up to on that front. So what's really exciting, as I mentioned early on, it's like we've been developing tools and allowing communities to fund their shared goods. The tools piece is really important. Now, this is the piece to where we talk about the network effect, right? And the network effect is how do you get an entire community, an entire group of passionate people to come together? And then what happens is you begin developing an ecosystem, right? And the ecosystem begins to flourish on its own. Grant stack and the advent of Allo protocol in combination with our Gitcoin Passport that's the piece that's going to take this from an internal Gitcoin-led process to opening these tools up and letting anybody in the ecosystem use these open source tools. What does that mean? So let's say Phantom, right? Phantom's got $500,000 that they need to distribute to their community and they want to run a grants round. I mean, there's a lot of work involved with inventing how a grants round works, right? I need to have somebody collect all the grants. I need to figure out how we evaluate all the grants. I need criteria. I need to publicize it, I need to run it, and then I need to pay it out. Well, wouldn't it be helpful if there was just an entire tool stack that I can go use anytime I want it to fund my shared needs inside my community? That's where we're that's what we're developing. So we are developing the tool set and the stack that's required that anybody, whether it's bankless, whether it's any we've even had some DeFi protocols come up and say, hey, we want to try and understand how we can use your tech stack to fund our shared needs inside our community. And Gitcoin does not need to be involved. We don't need to be involved. We turn it over to them and say, here's the tools, go run it. Now, we're in our beta round. So this week, Monday this week, we launched our beta round. So it's still, we're still making changes and, and, and working on this, but we're allowing, with, with this advent, we're allowing the community to develop their own rounds, enable quadratic funding, and also giving them the tech stack that if they want to adapt the way that quadratic funding works, great, you can build upon our stack, right? You can build on top of that. You can create your own. And so this is where it gets really exciting to where, to me, 
I see this tech stack someday outgrowing Gitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. It could be bigger than Gitcoin, right? That's, that's the piece that I, if I, if I project out far, how far, I don't know how far I'm, I'm a future thinker. So I always try to think about where are we today and where's it going to be some point in the future, but I think it's going to out, it's going to, I mean, it's going to get bigger than Gitcoin, right? This tech stack. Now, the other piece of that is Lawrence, as we were talking about earlier, quadratic funding is incredibly powerful, but you have to be careful of Sybil. So one person who goes out and creates 15 accounts and suddenly they've got 15 votes. That's where Gitcoin Passport helps prove that a single person is a single person. And this is a technology that can work that anybody can implement. So if you've got, if you've got a tech stack and you need to confirm that these people really are who they say they are, it's a really simple plugin. I played with it on in Snapshot like a couple of weeks ago in a vote that we recently did. It plugs easily into Snapshot. We've got APIs that are that you can that are available for it that make this really easy so that any community can come in and prove that their contributors are that one real person and no one person with 15 accounts. This is this is where this is where the network gets exciting. Oh, I love this. I think this sounds so cool. And in a sense, I can see Gitcoin is developing more of a, like a Kickstarter for Web3 tooling that anyone can use to go and fund their own projects and, and grow their projects and actually have continuous community engagement as, as well as building on their, their own products and services by leveraging the, those communities. So I, I think that sounds awesome. Is, is there anything else that you think is really exciting in Gitcoin's future that you have planned for, planned for the DAO? Yeah. So let me just take one little stab back at that. So if okay. you think about all of the different projects that Gitcoin has helped. So for an example, like, I mean, Bankless. So we've had Bankless runs rounds. We've had Uniswap, Optimism, Yearn, Toucan, United Nations, right? All running rounds on Gitcoin. Now we've helped some of those massive projects get started. Now, when we release this protocol to the world, you can take the effort that we have done and just multiply it, right? And there could be, I mean, somebody could say, you know, um, Burning Man, let's create an entire ecosystem around Burning Man, right? And if you, you can create an, an entire funding mechanism around whatever community that you've got. And that's where it, it gets exciting. And Lawrence, to your point, for me, the interesting point is looking at our protocols as a governance mechanism. And what does this do for the world in terms of how we can elevate the voices of the minnows and not alienate the voice of the whales at the same time? This is going to be exciting. All of the good work that's being done at Gitcoin is vital to the ecosystem and honestly is contagious, right? I, a, a lot of people, right, they look at grants programs. When I say people, a lot of users in Web3, I think because it's not a retail problem, Right. Some folks may not understand some of the complexities but of running or funding certain aspects within your ecosystem. Uh, but if you spend a little bit of time within these organizations, you really see just how complex, right, just how difficult from a human capital standpoint, from an operational standpoint, doing this is. And in, in, in our opinion, having, a, having an effective grants program to bolster ecosystems, public goods or otherwise is almost a required aspect to growing a healthy environment for your protocol or for multiple protocols or the ecosystem that you work in. So yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I, I just could not be more excited to see what, what's in the pipeline for Gitcoin. So. And if you can dimensionalize that, right? I mean, if you think about how much taxes you pay, right? What happens with those taxes, right? 40% of every U.S. dollar that we make, 40 to 50% of every dollar that is made for everybody in the U.S., right? 
And here I'm speaking just from a U.S. perspective, or if I go over to France, I can think of a France perspective, and it's somewhere between 40 to 47%. That's public goods money, right? That's what that money turns into. So it's not that public goods is insignificant. It is a huge part of GDP. It is a massive part of the economy. Now, if we can do that better, oh my God, it's going to be huge, right? So it's in, this is where I push back on some folks in DeFi. It's, ah, it's public good funding. Yeah, well, it's, it's a big chunk of our GDP, of every country's GDP. It's huge. It sort of reminds me of one of the charities that I've been reading about, which is called Give Directly, which is effectively where you give people in disadvantaged, disadvantaged places the funds and they're able to do with those funds what they think is best. And I would love to see that on governmental or used with, with taxes, with a system like Gitcoin to allow people to be like, actually, this is what we need in our community. This is what we think and actually allow them to distribute maybe not all of taxes, but a portion of to the things that they think are most most useful for them because it's shown that people who actually have the control of the, their spending and how funds are spent are actually spending much more efficiently because they're not like buying a bunch of, of jumpers or whatever that they don't really need. They've got loads of jumpers going to these disadvantaged places. What they need is actually food at this time or they need water or whatever. And I love the ability to empower communities to, to really spend effectively. That, that, is, that is fantastic. And if you think about the tech stack that Gitcoin is building to the nth degree, What if the city of Philadelphia said, we're going to set aside 5% of our tax revenue and we're going to open up to the community and you community, you go decide where that 5% of revenue goes. That's what the tech stack can enable. Now, loose that on the world. It could be huge. I mean, that would be, so that's one of those things to where we could bring a crypto product to IRL and people in IRL would suddenly say, Oh, that's what it's for. Oh, that's what we could do with it, right? That's what, that's what these guys are doing, right? It's not just all taking up all this energy and all these scammers, right? It's something real. So that would be huge. That would be good for the space. If there's anything that you want to get across or if there's anything that you'd like to say now, you can share any of your socials uh, or if there's anything interesting, any call to actions for the actual communities, let's, uh, let's do it. Okay, so the thing that I need to leave with you guys is that right now we are in our beta round for our Gitcoin grants right now. So if you're interested in learning about the space, if you're interested in learning about all the great innovations that are happening right now, if you want to be on the front end, if you're a VC and you want to see some of the really cool projects that are like just, I mean, just pre-seed round, go to gitcoin.co right now and look at our grants round. We have seven different rounds that are available open right now, and it could be everything for open source. It could be refi. It could be diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, there's seven different rounds that are open right now. Go look at many of the different projects that there are, that are there. And with that, you can then begin voting and just give a couple dollars to these projects and help them get themselves funded. That's a great way to get your first taste at what's happening in the public good funding space. I love this. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm feeling super pumped after this call. Cool. Guys, this has been great fun. I really appreciate it. So I think that wraps up our episode here. Quick shout out to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Sean, for coming on this episode as a guest. We're excited to see the growth of Gitcoin into the future. Till next time.